0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we will look at uh, 29th and, uh, through 31st verses. We started a series uh, last week, and uh, we entitled it, A Life That Matters. Now, when you think about a life that matters, you see it from two perspectives. The first perspective is that every life matters, every life is valuable because we have been created in the image of God. And because we are God's image bearers, we have value. So every life is valuable. But the second perspective of that, a life that matters, looks at, well, how do you live that life? A life that matters is one that has been lived, that has significance, that has importance, that has investment. And it's one that has significance both here on earth it also carries into eternity a life that matters. We were created to bring glory to God and we are created to not only to give Him glory, but then to tell others about Him so they too can praise His glory. So. We looked at two verses last week to start us off, and as found the first one is found in First Corinthians chapter ten. In first Corinthians ten thirty one says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That means that everything that we do, we're to do for God's glory. And in Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew five, verse sixteen, says that uh in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. So we are as believers, we're to have good works. Why? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, other people are supposed to see those good works. And when they do, they'll give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And see, God's glory is known and God's glory is praised. And he says, this is, this is the life that we're to live, okay? A life that gives him glory. And when other people see that, they in turn praise God for that. So If you take all of this, there's a definition that we've got for a life that matters. And this would be the definition. A life that matters aligns heart and actions to make God's glory known and praised. A life that matters aligns heart and actions to make God's glory known and praised. Now, to get it fixed in your mind, I want you to repeat it after me. So are you ready? Follow with me. Go. A life that matters aligns heart and actions to make God's glory known and praised. So, if this is the way my life is supposed to be, we also took you to the um, a passage in 1 Corinthians that talked about uh, the last judgment, and that uh, there'll be that day when all the Christians stand before Christ, and uh, all their works will be evaluated. And um, Paul gives a beautiful example of saying, you will be building your life. You'll build it on the foundation of Jesus Christ and then everything from there you build. And you build and we'll look at your motivations, your desires, the reasons for what you did and you build it. And you'll build with one of two sets of materials. Some of the materials will be like precious jewels and gold and silver and they will be there. Others will be wood, hay and stubble. But what will happen is that after all of your works are built, They're going to take a match and light it to it. And when you throw a match on wood, hay, and stubble, all of a sudden it'll burn up and there's not going to be anything left. The others will have precious jewels. You'll light a match, you'll throw it to that, and there'll still be standing, standing for eternity. And it says, and God rewards us for the things that we've done. And so a life that matters is a life that is not only just looking here, but it's looking towards the future and to eternity, And to say, God, I want to do things that would bring honor and glory to you, not to Danny Wood or or not to anyone else, but that you would get the glory. And then as you receive that glory, other people would see that and they would praise you and praise your glory. At the end of time, all of this will be evaluated. And so when you think about that, you say, well, I want to live a life that matters. And our church, we have a, our desire is that everyone would live that life. And so we have a mission statement. And the mission statement that we have our church is sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Every person that was up here that we just laid hands on and we prayed for and welcomed them into our church family, they came through Discover Shades and I shared this with them. And I looked at that first word, sending. We are all sent And for all of us, we are sent. It may be across the street to talk to our neighbor. It may be over the mountain to go down in Birmingham to work with people. It may be across state lines or it may be around the world. But we are all sent to be able to tell others about Christ. And we talk about sending transformed people. The word transforms means a metamorphosis, that there will be this change a radical change to where when God's spirit comes in our lives, it changes us. When the people were baptized up there, it was a beautiful picture that they die of their old self, they raise up to a new self, that their old self is washed away, and they live in a new, christ, a new life for christ that 's what means transform sending transform people to influence to have an effect on their world, their sphere of influence, and everything that we do is to bring honor and glory to God now, in order to do this, to send transform people to influence their world for Christ. To accomplish this, you need to have a life that matters. And to have a life that matters, there's really three strategies to have a life that matters. And we showed you this diagram. Last week, we looked at meet with God. And we said, meet with God, connect with others, and live with purpose. And so last week, we talked about how do you meet with God and that we meet with God corporately. And that's what we're doing today as we join together. A part of a life that matters is it makes it a priority to come and to be here and to worship God. And that when we worship him, it should be just like what it was in both in the Old Testament and New Testament. That when we come into worship, that we see the holiness of God. We see the power of God. We even have the fear of God. And at the same time, we experience the heart of God, his grace, his love, his mercy. And then we see the expectations of God. What are the challenges he has for us? And so every service should be marked with those five things. And at the end of the service, we should walk out of here with the expectations of what God has called us to do to live this life, to be a transformed believer, to go from this place and influence their world for Christ. And so we are to corporately meet with God, but then we're also individually to meet with God. And that is that every day we have that opportunity to start our day with God and to walk with him throughout the whole day. Corporately and individually, you meet with God. A life that matters. A life that aligns its heart and actions to make known the glory of God so the glory of God can be known and can be praised. How does that happen? How does a life that matters do that? You start out by saying, I got to meet with God. But second of all is to connect with others. A life that matters aligns the heart and actions to make God's glory known and praised. And one of those ways is to connect with others. Well, whenever you think about connecting with others, the very first thing you think about is this. Is that correct? Are you with me? All right. When you say, hey, are you connected? What do you do? Take your phone out. Say, I'm connected. This is amazing. Isn't this Friday night, an earthquake hit Japan, a major earthquake. Janice looked at me and she said, you know, Kyle Parrish, uh, one of our students is over in Japan for a year. I wonder if he's okay. I said, I'll check on that. So took my phone out and I sent a text message to Kyle's dad, Hal. A few minutes later, Hal comes back and he says, Kyle's fine. Uh, He was in one part of the country and the earthquake took place in another. He's okay. Well, then I thought, well, we've got a family in our church, Stephen and Kehi Taylor. They're missionaries in Japan and they're there in Tokyo. I wonder how they're doing. So I took out my trusty phone and I emailed them from Birmingham to Tokyo, 6,786 miles away. And I said, are you guys okay? In less than one minute, I got a response back and he says, Yes. We're 600 miles away from an earthquake. Family is fine. Thank you for your prayers. It's amazing. I'm connected. Now, what is even more amazing is, you know, the Internet didn't really kind of catch prominence until late 90s, early 2000. And around early 2000, we began to learn about the Internet. And then nine years ago, in 2007, the first iPhone was introduced. And guess what? you could take the internet and put it in your pocket. You got the internet right here in your pocket. And it changed everything. Because you see, now we almost feel like we're naked if we don't have our phone. you feel that way? You ever walked out of your house and didn't have your phone? You go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Where's the child? I don't care about the child. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Over here. It is just crazy how we are. I mean, Friday. I, I drove by Publix to pick up some things. Pick up like three items. I told Janice I'll be on a little bit. I got to pick up three items. I just left my phone in the uh, the front seat. I didn't even think about it. Got out of the car, locked the car, ran into Publix, picked up my three items. Got in the ten items or less line. You know that one that the woman two in front of me had twenty six items. But don't let's don't talk about that. All right. And and, and while I am there, I did this. I, said, I don't have my phone. I don't have my phone. Now I know it wasn't lost. I, it's in the car. But for about 30 to 40 seconds, I kind of got the shakes. I said, what if Janice is texting me? What if she's calling me? What if she thinks something has happened to me? It is so dangerous in the public parking lot. Maybe I got run over. Maybe she doesn't know what's going on. And I'm sitting there in this line. I said, you are an idiot. Uh, I said, why are you freaking out over this? But this is what it's like. You know, 15 years ago, we were still trying to understand what the internet is. Now we feel like that we've got to have it 24-7. And so when we sit there and look and we say, oh, connect with others, I'm all over that. No, no, you need to understand. The more we are connected with this, the more we are disconnected. Because you see, all we're doing is we are spending more time looking at a screen than we are looking in the faces of other people. And so what's, what our research is showing us is that the more we feel like they were connected with our phone, actually, the more disconnected that we are. Have you ever gone to just to a restaurant and sat in there and looked around? And I will sit there, and Janice and I will go out to you, we'll sit in a restaurant and I'll just scan the crowd. And adults, a little bit older adults, well, you're my age, everybody, that's bad to say. People younger than me and older than me, you know, just kinda, you know, middle-aged adults and older and stuff, they're sitting there and they're having conversations. You know, and they're talking and they're kind of going back and forth. And then what you do is you look across there and you span and you see that young couple. Either they're just married or maybe it's their first date and this is what they are. Boy, that sounds like a fun dinner, doesn't it? Uh, they got their head in their phone. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And what's happening is, is even though they may be connected by a phone, they are being disconnected. And what they're finding is that technology is resulting in us having decreasing social skills and decreased sensitivity because we just don't see people's faces. We're texting, tweeting, Snapchatting, emailing, Instagramming, and we have very few face-to-face conversations. And it says that the poor generation that's coming up is losing the ability to have a spontaneous conversation. Because when you text, you don't have to be spontaneous. You gotta think. And then you kind of put something in. But what's it like when you're face to face with someone? If you are going to live a life that matters, you're going to have to connect with others offline. Offline. And offline is a whole new ball game. It is a whole new ball game. When you get your head out of your screen and you go offline, it means that you've got to interact with people. It means you get the joy of just physical touch. Man, we're so glad to have you over here, you know? Shake of the hand on there. Little fist bump there. Boom, yeah, all right. You know, and there's all kind of stuff you can go. You can get a hug, you do these things, you talk, you look at people, and, and you, you're just connected with their face. It's incredible. Have you ever noticed what a person's face will show you? If they're with you or not, you can tell. If they're upset, they will share that. Just do their facial expressions. And all of a sudden you can begin to communicate back and forth, not just with your words, but also with your facial expressions. And you get to get laughter, and it's more than just a ha ha ha. It's a really a ha ha. ha. That's great. Tears is more than some little, little signal with a little tear on there. They'll really be crying. And then what do you do? I don't know. You know, they're tearful, they're angry. There's sarcasm. There's a sweet tone in their voice. All of these things are the richness of having a one-on-one, face-to-face discussion. This is what it means to connect with others. It is good to have our phones and know that we can stay connected with some people, but it's more than that. We need to get offline and begin to connect with others and connect with others face-to-face. And this is what Jesus is telling us. You say, really? Yeah. I want you to look at that passage, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Somebody asked him, they said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? You know what he said? He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We start out by loving God first, but then... The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There's no other commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God, heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's in the book of Mark. Now in the book of Luke, he shared this, and somebody asked him, said, who is your neighbor? And when they asked him, who is your neighbor, he came back and gave them the story that we know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he talked about the man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Robbers beat him up, left him over there. Two religious guys went, and they walked around him, did nothing for him. And then a Samaritan came, who they hated. And he saw this Jewish man that was beat up, and he tended his wounds, and he took care of him, and he took him to the hotel, put him up for a couple of days, covered all the expenses. And then Jesus said, so who is the neighbor in this story? And the man that asked the question says, the one who showed mercy. Mercy. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus' response was, go and do likewise. That means get involved. That means you go and you show mercy. And you can't go and show mercy from a distance. You gotta be close up. You gotta be right there. And so if Jesus was talking to us today, he says, get offline and go connect with others and show some mercy. Align your heart and actions to make God's glory known and praised by getting involved in the lives of others. You know when um, uh, when I was uh, going through school, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Y'all remember Simon and Garfunkel? Uh, Simon and Garfunkel made a song. I think it was in the '70s uh, called "I Am a Rock." Y'all remember that song? Okay. Now the bad news is I'm going to read some of those lyrics. Uh, and the worst news is that the song's gonna stay in your mind all day, okay? Because ever since I came up with this idea, I can't get it out of my mind. I am a rock. I am an island. You know that. Alright. So listen to some of what this song talks about. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, no one touches me. I'm a rock, I'm an island. See if you're with me. And a rock does what? Feels no pain. And an island never cries. Take out your lighters and go left and right over here. Yeah. A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Someone's saying, I'm just a rock. I, I, I'm just going to hide in my room. I don't, want, I don't want to get connected to others. You know why? Because connecting with others sometimes can be messy. And so I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Well, listen, that is completely opposite of what Jesus is teaching us. And it is completely opposite of a life that matters. A life that matters connects with others others. All right. Now, Jesus says, this is how you're supposed to do it. Look what the apostle Paul did. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. He went, he helped found this church. He planted this church in Thessalonica. And when he wrote him a letter, look what he says. So being affectionately desirous of you, he said, man, we just loved you guys. When we got there, we fell in love with you guys. We planted the church. We were ready to share with you, not only the gospel, we were going to share with you, not only the gospel, we weren't just going to come preach, and then go back to the hotel. He says, but also our own selves. Look at this. We're going to share with you our own selves because you had become very dear to us. He says, I was out among the people. I was touching lives. I was looking you in the face. I was seeing where your hurts were and I was there to help you in any way. So then he explains a little bit further. Look at verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, he says this, I think it's there. Yeah. He says, for, you know, like a father, like a father with his children. Now that's a connection. That's a pretty intimate connection. We exhorted each one of you. That word exhorted means that you gave them clear instructions. I mean, we walked alongside of you. We were there with you in your daily life. We gave you clear instructions. We exhorted each one of you and we encouraged you. That word really means to comfort you. You went through trials. You went through difficult times. We were there. We encouraged you. We counseled you. We comforted you. And we charged you. We urged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. To really, in essence, he's saying, we wanted you to have a life that matters, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We walked with you. We connected with you so that you could live a life that matters, so that you could live a life that would align your heart and your actions with making the glory of God known and praised. We connected with you. This is how we did that. And so we understand that connection is more than just being on your phone. You got to get offline and you've got a connection. Now, This is an interesting statistic from our survey. We took a uh, survey back, I believe it was November. We took a a church-wide survey. And a part of the results of the survey asked the question, how satisfied are you with your spiritual life? 56% of the people said they were very satisfied with their life, spiritual life. And then below that, there was about 38% that said generally satisfied and then others that weren't doing very well in theirs. They took the um, they took the survey and they broke it down and they did these different iterations. And one of them was with those who were connected versus those who were not connected. And for the people who said, I don't really feel connected here at Shades Mountain. I don't really have a friendship, don't have relationships. I don't feel connected. 80% of the people who said they were not connected felt about their spiritual life, that they were either just generally satisfied or even less, like not at all. There's a direct correlation between connecting with others and being spiritually healthy and satisfied. And that's why it's important. It's important in our church, for people, when they come, that they are to be connected. So let's talk about that for just a moment connecting, first of all, corporately. We're to connect corporately. Connect with others corporately, join a Sunday school class and or a small group. You hear us talk about this, this is why we say this. Every person that stood across the front over here needs to be in a Sunday school class. We're gonna make sure they they get assigned to one and hopefully join one, and then maybe add to that an accountability group or another Bible study group. You need to be connected corporately. We are a large church. We have close to 5,000 members. You can see probably about 2,800 people in this worship center, and you could sit here under the balcony, in the balcony, or even right over here, anywhere in here, and you could hide out, and you could slide in, and you could slide out. And we appreciate you being here for worship, and hopefully you gain a lot in worship, but you're missing. You're missing out if you don't get connected with others. And so for your spiritual health, you want to connect with others. To have a life that matters, you need to connect with others. So corporately, join a Sunday school class. Get involved in a small group. But what I really want to talk to you about is connecting individually. And that is that every one of us needs to connect with others individually. And um, we, we can't live the Simon and Garfunkel life. I am a rock, I am an island. We need to connect with others And so what are some helpful initiatives that can help me to be able to connect with others? I want to just share some with you as we start coming close to the message. First of all is this. It is adjust motives, give rather than take. Adjust motives, give rather than take. What I mean by that is that in order for you to connect with others, one of the first things you probably are going to have to do is adjust your motives and that is that you want to connect with people in order to give to them rather than just take from them. You see, sometimes people are selfish, and they have selfish motives, and that's why they can never connect. They want to connect with someone because of their position or their resources or their influence. And so when you have those type of selfish motives, no one's going to really want to connect with you. They can see through that. Or if all you want to do is to be in a relationship to where you're always taking, 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 that's not going to work. If you truly want to connect with others, you've got to adjust your motives and say, you know what, I'm going to be a giver rather than a taker. I want to connect with people, and I want to serve people, and I want to pour into their life, and I want to give in this relationship. I don't want to be just a taker. And I want to connect with them just because I care for people and I care for them. And I want to be a, be a part, maybe kind of walk through life together with them. A life that matters will connect with others. But the first thing is we need to adjust our motives and make sure they want not have selfish motives. Number two is this, and that is to remove the mask, be real. Remove the mask, be real. As we've gone through this consulting process with Oxano, we started this in August, and um, and we have met with them monthly. Early on in the process, there was an exercise to where it was called Kingdom Concept and Local Predicament. What is the local predicament that we minister in? What is our community like? And so what they did is we had about 13 staff members in there, some who'd been here over 20 years, some just a few years, and began to talk about our, our over-the-mountain community and listed impressions of our community. We then took it to our deacons and we did the same exercise with them and they listed it. We then took it to what is called forum. That's our Sunday school leadership. Over 200 people were there in the room. We walked them through this exercise. What the staff came up with, what the deacons came up with, what the Sunday school leadership came up with all said the same thing. It was all the same. And if I could take it down into about three words it would be this the very first word that um that our people had is pretentious pretentious we live in a in a community in a group that is when we say pretentious is that people will put on a facade and uh, it is like a biblical cultural christianity facade to where we say that we we are christians but then we, a lot of times we don't, don't live the life, but we want everybody to think that we do. And we put this facade as, as everything is good. Uh, it, it's a facade that would continue with social and economic. Socially, we got it all together. Economically, we're doing great. Uh, we're better than ever. And, and so we just got this pretentiousness. It's just like we're not real. And the second word was guarded, that we're real guarded and as one of the statements that came out was a front yard, backyard. And what it means, front yard, backyard, is that sometimes you come and your front yard looks really good, but but you got all your junk in the backyard. And so when people come and they look at your front yard, they go, ooh, you're looking good. Yeah, I'm doing good. I've got it all together. But don't come to the backyard, because that's where we put all the junk. And so there's a there's a little bit of of guarded, because we don't want anybody to really see who we are or or, or what's going on in our life. And then the next is that we're very achievement-oriented, which which can be good. I mean, it's good that we want to be achievement-oriented. But the problem is, is that because we're so achievement-oriented, we can't let anybody see that we've ever failed or, or that we have any defects or there's, there's nothing that has happened that's wrong in our life. And, and you see what we do is our achievement drives our status to where we think that our status comes from the things that we've achieved or even worse, what our kids have achieved. And and so we, we would pressure them in sports or academics or, and, or anything else. And because, because what they do looks good on us and we want everybody to look at us and say, Hey, look at my child, he's done great. And, and, you know, naturally it was, it was a gene pool and, and everything else. And, and so all of a sudden we've got this incredible facade to where we're really not real. And it's kind of hard at times in this community because we are successful people but yet we all have got our faults. We've all had difficulties. Some of the kids get off the rails. Some of the marriages get shaky. Some of the kids don't do well in school. And sometimes you're not the top performer at work. And in fact, You've already had the talk. Your boss has talked and said some things have got to change or we're going to have to let you go. And, and all those things that you got and all that stuff, I mean, you're in debt up to here. But it looks good. Everybody thinks you're doing good. But you're just going month to month just hoping just to pay the interest off of a credit card. But see, it's, it's this facade that is carried. And it's a mask that we wear. And we're real easy to do it on Sundays. And, and I want you to hear me really clear. I don't want you to go to the opposite end and be Eeyore over there from Winnie the Pooh and, and say, how are you doing? Everything's bad. I'm so depressed. You know, I just say, take me out, man. Uh, uh, but, but you can still have an, have an openness okay, to where we can remove the mask and just be real with people. And if we're gonna connect with others, it means that I, if I wanna connect with you, I gotta be real. And for you, it'd be great if you were real too. And we could just say, say, hey, these are some struggles. Everything's not rosy. But I do know I have a redeemer who lives. And because of my faith in Christ, we're gonna make it through her. But I'm telling you what, we're walking through some tough times right now. But I just want you to know that. You'll start connecting with people. In a life that matters, that's going to align its heart and its actions with making God's glory known and praised, you start connecting with others, you're going to see that happen. And part of it is just removing the mask and being real. Number three, share a meal. Take the initiative. I use the phrase share a meal because that's one of the easiest things to do. If you ever wanted to to befriend somebody, you know what you can do? You can invite them for a meal. Just take the initiative. If you're going to connect with others, somebody's got to start. And so I encourage you to be intentional. Find something to do. But take that step. Don't just sit back and wait for others. If we are really going to connect with others, don't sit there and wait for someone to connect with you. Take the initiative. Take someone out to lunch. Just get to know them a little bit better. Number four is this peel the onion, be accountable. Peel the onion, be accountable. That great philosopher Shrek, uh, when Shrek was talking to Donkey, he says, Onions have layers and ogres have layers. Onions have layers and ogres have layers. Let me tell you, we all have layers. And we all have layers. We need to peel those layers, and beneath those layers, there's junk in our lives. And it's important to connect with others and have trusted friends that can help you peel that onion. And they can help you be accountable. Let me show you a verse in Proverbs. In Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three, it says, "Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue." And look at look at what he's saying. Whoever rebukes a man will find more favor. You know what that means? That means like someone that's being accountable to where they can talk to you, look at you, and say, what you're doing is wrong. You are heading in a wrong direction. Now, everyone else is just patting you on the back and saying, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. But I'm telling you, you are heading down a dangerous road. And when someone does that, they will find more favor. Because you will come up to that person maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe years later and say, I want to thank you so much because that word of warning helped me because I was getting right ahead in a direction that had unbelievable consequences. Thank you for that. But see, what you have to do is you got to connect with someone to where y'all can peel those onions together and you can be accountable to them. And see, there's another verse in the book of Proverbs that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And that means that when a friend comes and they say some of those tough things, you know they love you and they know they're doing it for your best and you're going, you know what? I understand it. So you've got to peel the onion. You've got to be accountable. Develop an accountability with someone. When that happens, that honest and open relationship, it will support the development of your own personal purity and integrity. Someone to help peel those onions. Number five is this get a 2 a.m. friend and be a 2 a.m. friend. Get a 2 a.m. friend and be a 2 a.m. You know a 2 a.m. friend? I remember years ago, first time I ever heard it, somebody said, What is a 2 a.m. friend? It says, When you get arrested for something. <laughs> and they said, When you get arrested and you're in jail at 2 in the morning, who are you going to call? I didn't have to call my dad because there'd be a funeral the next day. So I knew that was out. I said, who would you call? Who would you call if you were in jail? Two o'clock a.m., who would you call? Your 2 a.m. friend. You call the 2 a.m. friend because the 2 a.m. friend would pick up the phone and you say, hey, man, I'm I'm, I'm in jail right now and I need someone to come. You know what 2 a.m. friend does? He doesn't sit there and say, what did you do? Why did you do it? Didn't you know that was wrong? You know what they do? They said, I'm leaving now. They hang the phone up. They get dressed. They drive down and they're there. I've had people uh, that I have uh, crossed paths with, they got the phone call and they said, I'm buying the plane ticket now and I'm flying. And they went right down to the airport, caught a flight, I gotta be there. A 2 a.m. friend is the person that knows you, loves you, and is there for you all parts of life. They'll share the good times with you, they'll be with you during the difficult times. But it's a 2 a.m. friend. They just know your heart. They know your heart. And you know theirs. And when something happens, you know you can call them and you don't have to explain a thing. They're going to be there. Part of what I would challenge you is when we try to think about connecting with others, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's make some friends. But why don't we make that 2 a.m. friend to see if we could develop that friendship. And part of the way of doing that is for you to be that 2 a.m. friend. To develop a relationship with someone that uh, they know that no matter what the situation is, they could call you and you'd be right there. Now, that doesn't, now you gotta tie it back to the other things that we said. That doesn't mean that you're always telling them, you're the best, you're the best. It means you get over there and after you're there and you're supporting them, and when the time is right, that's when you say, let's talk about what you did. And let's be real straight. 2 a.m. friend. Get a 2 a.m. friend and be a 2 a.m. friend. And last is this, and that is, oh, Proverbs, let me give you a great verse. Proverbs 13, uh, Proverbs 18:24. but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. You've heard that said many times. You've heard that proverb. Every time you hear that, just think 2 a.m. friend. I need to get a 2 a.m. friend. And last is this, be a mentor, invest in others. Proverbs 27:17. iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Iron sharpening iron. Every person needs to have a mentor that is mentoring them and they need to be mentoring someone else. Listen, folks, we are blessed. We are in a multi-generational church. And that means that we've got a great division, uh, kind of a breakdown of younger people and older people. And I just challenge all of us as older people that we need to find younger people, younger adults or teenagers or whatever, and to pour into their lives and to be mentors to them. I mean, this is biblical. Moses, he mentored Joshua. Elijah, he mentored Elisha. Jesus mentored his 12 disciples, but then he had an inner three that he spent even more time with them, and he mentored them. Paul mentored Timothy. Barnabas mentored Mark. Over and over, you see it in Scripture. And the great thing is that, that Paul took this young pastor, Timothy, he mentored him, and then after he mentored him, when he wrote in Second Timothy, he says, take these things that I have taught you and entrust them to faithful men. You know what he told? Timothy, I just mentored you. You go mentor some other people. Pour into their lives. You need to invest in other people's lives, folks. And you got we got a great opportunity. As large as we are and as diverse as we are, You can pour your life into other people. I saw a statement, Chip Ingram. I love this quote about mentoring. He says this If you haven't poured your life into others, your life ends with a period. Great Christians end with a comma. That's good stuff. God wish I'd thought of that. (laughs) That's really good. You live all this life, you have all of this within you, all these things you've learned, all these life lessons, all the things that God has shown you, all the experiences you've got in the business world and your teaching profession, all the experiences you've had as a mom and raising kids and and walking through all kind of issues and stuff. And if you take all of that and then you just take it with you to the grave, It's like your life ends in a period. But what happens when you take all those things and then you pour them into other people? You connect with others and you begin to share these life lessons with them and all of a sudden your life is a comma because it just continues on. Because there are other people that are saying, hey, because of what you did in my life, I'm able to continue on and I pour into other people's lives also. Life that matters. A life that matters. We connect with others. Meet with God and connect with others. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. William Booth uh, lived over in England, and the ministry spread, and he came to the United States and to other countries. And there was one year where he was supposed to share the new vision for Salvation Army. And there was a big meeting in New York City to where everybody was gathered together, and they couldn't wait to hear from William Booth himself, who was going to be there in New York and was going to lay out the new vision for Salvation Army. And then disappointment hit him when they said he was unable to travel from England over to New York. But they said he would send a cable that would have the vision. And so in anticipation, they waited for the cable to come. And when the cable came and the man stood up before this huge throng of people saying, what is the vision for the Salvation Army for this year? He opened it up and it said one word, others. Others. That's our vision. He knew back then you connect with others. Others who are lost, who don't know Christ as Savior, and connect with others who are part of the family that I want to build those relationships with. When we walk out of here in just a few moments, be thinking others. Others. Who can I connect with? Who can I tell about Jesus? Who can I connect and share my life with so that my heart, my actions are all aligned so that I can make God's glory known and praised? Let me ask you to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that when you give us the opportunity to receive Christ as Savior, And we become adopted into your family. That you don't just take us home. You let us stay here. So that we can live a life that brings honor and glory to your name. And so today, Lord, as our focus has been on connecting with others, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each person here. And begin to bring up in their heart and in their mind those that they need to connect with. And Father, I pray that there may be some here today who need to connect with you who've never made that decision and that today would be a day when they said, "Well, oh, I need to connect with my Heavenly Father. I want to receive Christ. Lord, I pray that that connection would take place. And Lord, I also pray that as we leave this place, that over this next week or two, that you'll bring people into our pathway that we can connect with. And as we connect with them, that we'll be able to give you honor and glory. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.